This is The Big Show with Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It is the big show broadcasting live from the zone studios here at Vivint Arena. Jake Scott with you. Lloyd Cole producing today across the glass from us. I say us because Hans is sticking around for another hour because he's a good dude. He's good at what he does. Oh, come on. And I love what I do. It's not like you didn't work over the weekend or anything. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, it was a busy weekend. Hey, you're about to get into your busy season. Oh, yeah, it's coming. Starting Tipping things week. off on Wednesday. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm excited too. It's uh, it's gonna be. A, I think it's gonna be a really good year for the Jazz. So it should be a, a fun time on pre half and post. I would guess. When you say it's gonna be a good year, how good do you think it's gonna be? Oh, they're gonna contend in the West. Do you have them favored in the West? I don't know. It's kinda, I, I don't it's, know if you do that exactly. Do you do you try to narrow it down like that, or do you sure, do you sure. like to just draw categories? I mean, this is radio, right? We're yeah. all about opinion and projection uh but the thing is is i don't really buy the lakers so outside of that who you really buying right did you you did you buy the phoenix suns last year no but that's my point you know weird stuff happens and the west is so deep with decent teams and well-run franchises weird stuff happens right when there's not a golden state sitting on top that's just unbeatable so that's that's the hard part about it but why couldn't the jazz finish first or second in the western conference this year and, and and with the possibility of doing so, why wouldn't you say that they will? You know, that's, but also, hey, maybe they they are fourth or fifth in the West this year, but they go into the playoffs healthy and things break their way instead of against them, and all of a sudden they're in the Western Conference Finals. You know, that's the unfortunate part about the NBA regular season. In the grand scheme of things, we've devalued it so much that what does it really mean? Other than in this case, you know, if you get seeds one or two, you're playing the play-in tournament teams right so maybe that gives you a bit of of an advantage but i i think the jazz are going to be really good they were really good last year they were really good i just don't think we're going to know how good they'll be until later in the season because i i just feel well maybe some early but i feel like this will be all management it's all jazz management just manage this team manage the health manage the roster make sure you don't have to sit in that playoff system because, you know, anybody that played in that playoff system last year, it was the Lakers, the Grizzlies, the Warriors, and the Spurs. Those were the four teams that were playing for seventh and eighth seed. You don't want to be there. You don't want those extra they games. Won't be there. But as far as I'm concerned, finish anywhere one to six. And I don't care. As long as you show up for postseason right. play. Which is which is the idea. You know, part of that management thing that bugs me though is you can't some of it can't be determined or or mitigated you know what i mean like you're an excellent example of this in your career you never got hurt you played one of the most physical positions in all of sport actually two of the most physical positions in all of sport and at one point in your career played them both at the same time and avoided major injury i know you had your you know uh, nicks and cuts and bruises and all that stuff uh, popping fingers back as i 
mm-hmm. uh, experienced your skill at. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in, in what? You were a rookie uh, with the Colts, right? And you yeah. had probably, what was it, your most significant injury? It broke a hand. But but how much of that was, was circumstance where you see teammates who just, you know, make the wrong step running and all of a sudden. Nikos. You know, right. And all those those crazy injuries that are just circumstance could not have been pre- prevented. There are some things that just happen. Like the the injury to Mehmet Accord, watching his Achilles just pop. I, oh. I know he was dealing with some stiffness and soreness in his calf, if I remember right. And he had taken some games off, and then he came back, and that heel just went flat to the floor, and it was like, well, that's that that's it. And, it, and, and you're right. There is a certain amount of management. You could try as much as you want. You can't prevent. That Thus is the story of Dante Exum and why it is a, a somewhat of a sad one. I mean, he made a, a bunch of money, so you can't feel too bad for the guy. But Still making. Uh, still making a bunch of money. Um, but all his, remember how just freakishly circumstantial most of his injuries were, you know, whether it was that one, uh, over there when he did it overseas, when he was playing for team Australia yep. or the random preseason shoulder injury, yeah, just this in, weird in camp. Yeah. This weird stuff. Like that when just, it w- went up for a shot or went up, was going up the block and somebody hit his arm and his shoulder. Some type of shoulder damage. You could have the best trainer on the planet. He's not going to be able, or she, of course, uh, to prevent some of this stuff. So, so I, I don't know. Some of it is luck. You got to hit your stride at the right time to give a stupid cliche. Well, when I think about the age of this roster, I, I think that there were six guys on this roster over thirty-one or thirty-two. You know, and and so you've added some age in guys like Rudy Gay. I don't we're Hassan Whiteside, I don't think he's in his 30s yet, is he? Or did he just uh, tip into his... Somewhere around there. But, you know, you've got plenty of guys that are in their 30s, middle of their 30s. And so guys like Mike Conley, you can handle a certain way. Guys like Rudy Gay, you can handle a certain way. And start to build an understanding of what you expect for playoff basketball. But you're right. You still have to put these guys on the court. You still have to play them. And in any given moment... Uh, fate is going to work its way into whatever's going to happen. But I guess the point I'm making is, and and I know that you talk about regular season importance all the time, I don't know if I've ever settled in for a less important jazz regular season having all of my emphasis and focus placed on postseason basketball. A lot of people are looking that way for sure. The good news, though, for the Jazz is, and and I want to get into football with you, Hans, but the good news for the Jazz is it looks like, in my opinion anyway, they have 10 dudes, and I'm throwing Je- Jared Butler in there. They have 10 guys for, like an, for, uh, for an eight-man rotation. So if you think that Pascal and Butler can be have a, an impact on the team this year, which I do, then that's nice depth right there because you can move some pieces around and you know, hopefully the ship won't sink when you go back into the the 10 deep. You know, if you get down to the two-way guys, things might be dire. But that's true about every team in the league. So I think they've got 10 dudes for an eight-man rotation, and as long as those um, Pascal and and Butler are patient or whatever, they're going to get opportunity. Jake, could you imagine the pressure being – I get it. So you're making millions of dollars, 25, $30 million, and you're making tons of money. But could you imagine the pressure of being on this Jazz team right now knowing – that jazz ownership is going to be tens of millions of dollars in on luxury. Like the, the jazz ownership has gone in on this team. Yeah, I think they'd tell the, you bring it on. 
I think that for sure they, they would say bring it on, but I, I think that in the back of their mind, and that's why in the Jazz Media Day, we heard a lot of it's a small window. This is, you know, we, we've, this is our window, and it's a small window, and now is our time, and this is the time right now. I think all of them kind of see it. Like, they went all in. People are making money. We've got our roster back. We've added some good pieces. Ownership is definitely invested, but now is the time because we got a lot of guys in their 30s. We got a lot of money on the line. And so what I look at is none of those guys are going to be like, oh, we have to be the one seed in order to make this worth it for Ryan Smith. Everyone is like, we've got to make it to the Western Conference Finals minimum to make this worth it for Ryan Smith. So I think there's some added pressures going into this tip-off on Wednesday, too, that these guys know that there's some heavy expectations coming down. All right, can we talk some football? Because uh, we, we have a lot to get to. I want to get to both Utah and BYU in the segment because there's a lot in the football world that I think uh, deserves Hans Olsen's reaction to. So I think I'll fire a bunch of that stuff at you coming up in the 2.30 segment. So Let, let's go, man. For that. All right, let's let's dive into it. Uh, Lloyd, you, uh, you have some uh, uh, highlights prepared for us. Let's do it. We like to hang our hat on the fact that we're being physical, you know. I, we knew that Grimey and Mateos were going to have their own line be physical. I think it showed a little bit of our inexperience, maybe, and, and a little bit of youth up front. But with that being said, it was little things like not tackling well enough. Uh, we dripped off of some tackles. They played a clean game. I mean, looking at it, we had two penalties. They had zero. You have to find ways to play better and put them in worse positions where they at least get a penalty or something. But we didn't do enough to stress them. We just didn't do our part. I think it goes back to the fundamentals of the game and so uh, we have to be a lot more uh, efficient on the defensive side and that means get off the field stop the run and get the ball back to our offense so we can score points but I, I thought the guys effort is always there the guys play hard they just we weren't playing smartest and that's my job as head coach I need to have these guys ready to play and I need to have them more efficient in all three phases so I'm going to really work on that. Well, it all started with the first drive in the second half. We talked about that at halftime, that, hey, we left some points out there at the end of the first half. We got the ball first. We go out and put one on them. It's game on. And that's exactly what we did. And then we proceeded to score three more times in the second half. And that last one was the dagger. And our pass rush took over on that, uh, you know, when they got the ball back with 240 or whatever it was left over. Pass rush took over and, and essentially ended the game for us. All right, Hans, let's talk a little college football. Let's start with uh, with the Utes. We heard from Kalani, and we'll get to the Cougs coming up in a moment, but uh, but Utah comes out and just rolls over Arizona State in the second half. Go down, uh, go into halftime, down 21-7, and rattle off four cons- consecutive touchdown drives in the oh, second yeah. half to absolutely end the game. And it's it's honestly weirdly similar to other games Utah's had where this team is just has something where they they dig down deep and turn it around and my gosh did they because it looked like Arizona State had had Utah right where they wanted them Hans and what a what a gutty performance from the Ute offense give the Ute offense a ton of credit Devin Lloyd Pac-12 player of the defensive player of the week he's amazing and the defense was great but give the offense a ton of credit for playing a great game so if I were going to give a most improved medal to this team in this three game win streak coming out of that San Diego State loss then going Washington State USC and Arizona State getting those three wins give the most improved medal to the Utah offensive line sure they've after that bye week, they found a little consistency. They found a pretty decent rotation. Braden Daniels played much better at the tackle position. 
Uh, Bama Lassini gave up one pressure that caused an interception in the first half. But other than that, I thought Bam played really well. So give the most improved medal to the offensive line. One of the great things that we're seeing start to present itself is, and, and I know it was painful to go through, but seeing Cam Rising getting that quarterback position, I don't know where they'd be if Charlie Brewer was still around and they were still trying to put Charlie back into the starting it lineup. Didn't and, it and, didn't work. And then Cam Rising was still getting rotation minutes. And believe it or not, I think Charlie Brewer did you a favor when he was like, when he bounced. I'm out. Well, here's the because thing. it's taking the pressure off camp. Here's here's my read on Rising Hans, and, and and tell me if I'm wrong. Certainly, you have a better eye than I do. Um, he can make the throws. I mean, he's a talented football player, so mm-hmm. don't don't read into this opinion the wrong way. But he reminds me a lot about a lot of Brian Johnson in a way that he is just a baller, mm-hmm. where he makes the big plays at the right times and he has the courage to make the right throws. I mean, if you if you remember Brian in in. 2007 and, and less so, but still in 2008, Brian couldn't throw the ball more than 10 or 15 yards down the field. He just had that shoulder issue or whatever, Hans, but he mm-hmm. he made the throws he had to make at the right time when the game was on the line. And I think there's a lot of that there in Cam Rising where he's just going to go make a play. He's going to go make a play for you. And he's he's good. He's well, good. We, saw, we saw that right out of the gates in this Arizona State game with that scramble. Mm-hmm. So the pocket was good. Pocket was solid. Receivers got shut down. His all of his targets, or at least in his progression, his targets were shut down. He's 15 yards from the goal, and he's looking around. He scans. He scans. He's got two and a half count. He gets into the three count, and instead of sitting there and trying to mess around in the pocket, wait for something to break free, he sees that there was some drop zone. He sees it was a four man rush. He sees his offensive line's got the rush locked up. Boom, he's off and running. He's off and running. Makes a quick decision instead of waiting for the pressure to come, makes a quick decision and scrambles for a 15-yard touchdown to tie it up 7-7. to It was the only points that Utah put up in the first half of that game. And that came off of him making a quick decision. I'm not just going to sit back here and be a target. And I I don't want to try to scramble and extend this. I know that I've got backers that have dropped back in zone because I can't throw that over the top because this, this route's bracketed. So... Off he goes. So it shows good decision-making. Well, and I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this too, Hans, but I think the coaching staff is slowly, and I'm going to emphasize slowly here, gaining more confidence in Cam Rising because I felt that the reins were loosened significantly in the second half specifically of this Arizona State game where I thought they, I don't know, one way or another allowed him to be more aggressive and go down the field. He played with a lot of confidence. He did, and the run game forced Arizona State really forced their hand and that opened up tight end routes and opened up some of these receivers and you know you see Ke- Keithy with a couple of touchdowns and uh, there were some really good play action looks but Tavian Thomas has made a huge difference in these last two weeks too Jake a, huge, a, difference. huge difference oh yeah I agree in in pass blocking and in swagger and and giving you extra yards and extra push and at the same time it's not put the ball on the ground in a couple of weeks, and that is really important because you have to have him on the field. He's your he's your best option, and if he puts it on the ground, not only are you sick because it's a possible turnover, but you're sick because you might be without him because they won't let that continue to happen. 
as much as they know they've got a really good running back, they'll put pleasure in. And they'll put Curry in, and they'll just be like, I know he's a better running back, but how do you trust it? You can't allow it. And having Tavian be on the field has been big in setting the pocket and all kinds of things. All right, here's my take on BYU, and I'm curious to to the vibe you got from the fans in the post game. All right. (sighs) (laughs) I saw a bunch of grumpiness on Twitter, but who knows if – about Jaron Hall, and who knows if Twitter's real life, right? It's it's likely not. But I, I thought, why the grumpiness with Jaron Hall? I thought he played okay. I mean, he wasn't I – mean, he can't all be Ty Detmer on every single weekend, right? But I thought he was pretty good. You look at his numbers, 342 yards. I mean, I know he had the fumble. But if you want the story of the BYU game, Hans, how many – if you're a team that gives up 300-plus yards on the ground, what do you think your percentage of winning the game is? Probably somewhere around 15%. Oh, I would say even less. If you give up 300 you yards? You give up 300 yards on the ground, I bet you're losing at least 9 out of 10 times. So maybe 10%, yeah. And you heard it from Kalani's clip coming in there. They didn't tackle, they didn't play yeah. tough enough, all those things that were, were totally there against Utah and Arizona State. We're not there against Baylor for whatever reason. And, you know, Kalani gave Grimes credit, called him grimy, which makes me laugh. Because of the mm-hmm. Simpsons episode, but anyway, uh, that uh, they knew what they were going to get from good old Grimy, and he gave it to them, and gave it to them again, and they give up 300 yards on the ground. You're just not going to win very many football games when you do that. Well, I don't I, care who your quarterback is. Yeah, I spent some time. Uh, I wouldn't say railing on, but I spent some time talking about BYU's inability or unwillingness to run the ball themselves, mm-hmm. and. I do think that the bigger story is probably on the defensive side. If you're looking for the reason I this game so. was lost, it's, I so. it's more on the defensive side. There were only 55 offensive plays for BYU. They only had the ball 24 minutes and 24 seconds. Yep, 55 plays. So you only had 15 runs outside of you know the runs that Jaron Hall took. You only had 15 runs. When you got... Tyler Algier and Lopini Katoa, you would love to see 10 for Lopini and and 20 for Algier for a minimum of 30 combined carries between the two of them. That's what you would love to see. But you had 15 total runs from your running backs in this game. And that's because your offensive plays were limited because you really could not stop Baylor. And Baylor went on some drives that just caused major embarrassment. I've been on the giving end and the receiving end of those drives. I can't express to people what it does to you on a football field. I, I wish, Jake, I wish I could take you and put you in pads and put you at a three technique in a 14-play drive where you're getting moved, and then when you try to make a move to the inside, they wall you off, and the running back goes in the opposite side, and it's a third and two, and they get on that third and two, they get two and a half yards for the for the first down conversion, and then on the first down they get three yards, and then they get another three yards, and then they get three three and a half yards, and they get the first, and you're just beating your head against a wall, thinking I am so tired, this sucks so bad, and then you're blaming everybody. Like it was fourth and eight, we had them. Who gave up the the quick slant? You knew the quick slant was coming, and you're in the huddle looking at your corner or your nickel thinking to yourself, well, how come they can't do your job? And then that next play, you give up four yards in your gap. <laughs> it's, 
I, I can't even express to you the frustration it causes. And then you come off after giving the touchdown and you've been on the field trying to stop Baylor for the last seven and a half minutes and you come off the sideline and the offense is looking at you like, idiots. Well, then they go three and out and then you're right back out. You're like, oh, no, I want this game to be over so bad. I will pay the refs. Just let this r- clock run. It sounds horrible. No, yeah. but and you can see it. I mean. You're watching games. You can see what uh, effect those drives have. But I mean, it's it just makes the margin for error so small, right? When you yeah. have the ball so little time and so few possessions, and then all of a sudden you're chasing it, and then it's out of reach. You're right, Jaron Hall. This is not Jaron Hall's fault. No, I didn't think so at all. And I was surprised for the grumpiness. I really was. I, I do wonder if Tyler Algier was a little banged up. I, there were multiple opportunities to continue to try to run. You know, there was a, a time where BYU got down to the seven-yard line, so it was first and goal on the seven. On first down, you, you try to you try to throw it. You, you end up getting kind of get pressured and pushed to the 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 sideline, and Jaron Hall kind of has to flip it so he doesn't take the sack. And then on second down, you run another pass play and you flick it out to Tyler Algier. Now he got in for a touchdown, and it was an eventual touchdown. But you know, you're you're first and goal on the seven, and you opt to not run it. Yeah, that's probably not a good sign. Okay, and then there were multiple, in, in just the first two quarters, there were multiple first downs where you had a six-man box and you could have ran it. There were multiple second downs where you could have ran it, but a lot of times they were getting incompletes on first and ten, causing a second and ten, which then forces right. you to throw it again on second and ten. So... I just there were a couple of things that I had questions offensively, but this was not Jaron Hall's fault. If I had to point fault, it would be at that defensive front getting owned. And I, I was talking with DJ and DJ said, All right, so sometimes it's about guys just getting manhandled, pushed back. And then sometimes it's about guys just not having the speed and getting outran on the on the turns. And he's right. You know, there's different ways to get your yardage. And he said, which way it was it in your opinion? Jake, this was about being pushed back. This is about a man on a man and just taking them back. And there are times that I come on air and I want to just use names and just blow people up. Because I'm seeing it and I know the techniques. I watched one guy in particular that I've got a lot of respect for on the BYU defensive line, time after time, his pad level was high. He was allowing an offensive lineman in his chest, and he was getting pushed back three, four yards and out of gap. You can't have it. And then I watched BYU's defensive line start to submarine a bit, try to fire down at the ankles. And those guys were just getting shoved in the dirt, and the running back was cutting around them. And I'm just sitting there scratching my head thinking, if Washington State sees this and decides, uh, let's let's bring it in a little bit and let's power run this a little bit and let's uh, even though they won't because they that's, won't. that's not their mo. No, nope. but and, and that's by the way that's why I tweeted out. I think that the matchups coming forward are, are in BYU's favor, but BYU was absolutely owned on the defensive front, manned up, pushed back. Who uh, who had the the biggest meanest? offensive line that you ever faced the Washington Huskies 
1997. Benji Olson. If you remember, played with the Titans for a lot of years. Your cousin. And not O L S O N. I believe I believe he's O N. We are of no relation. Distant cousin. <laughs> Maybe. I'm sure we both love a steak medium rare. Uh-huh. Um, but that might be the best offensive line I ever faced. Uh, I did go against Orlando Pace, which that was interesting. That's always fun. He was very good. Yeah. Um, my my first game active in a regular season was against the Rams in 2003. No, 2002. And uh, they had a very good offensive line. I, I've faced some good ones, and when you've got a good offensive line, and, and as a defensive lineman, you're going against it, it doesn't matter what you do. You're wrong. I can, I, Okay, so now I'm going to fight the pressure because I tried to cut on the backside and couldn't get to the running back cutting on the backside. So now I'm going to fight the pressure. So then you go fight the pressure, and an offensive tackle steps down while you're fighting against a guard and just gives you a, a tough jab in the shoulder as you're trying to fight the pressure, and now you're just turned and back anyways. Good offensive lines just make it maddening. And and Baylor is a good offensive line. That's a good team. It is a good team. Absolutely. And Dave Aranda's star is rising. I read him on a uh, speculation for LSU. I don't think he didn't oh. get that job, but I read his name on a list today. Uh, wh- who was he the D coordinator for? LSU at one yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. It, was, but you don't think... Um, I don't know. The, he the, was a, he was the highest paid coordinator with LSU, right? But he hasn't done anything really as a head coach. I mean, he just got that Baylor not job. enough. Yeah. Uh, speaking of elsewhere around college football, I have several things to get to with you next. So we're gonna we're gonna try and do as rapid fire as we can. But given your uh, experience, hands, I'm I'm pretty curious to some of your reactions to all of this. Let's do it. All right, we'll get to it coming up next. Stay tuned. Big show, Hans sitting in for the two o'clock hour, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. This is DJ and PK. Eric Walden, jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Jazz had a great season last year, and it sucked the way it ended for jazz fans, obviously. But they were still a great team. On paper, I think they're better. Fair or foul? I agree with that. I do feel like on paper, they've addressed a lot of the issues that really hurt them in that Clippers series. Theoretically, the jazz are a lot deeper. They're a little more matchup proof. I think if we're saying, what's the ideal version of this team? They're probably missing another lengthy wing capable of defending and switching and hitting some threes, but those guys don't grow on trees. They should be good. They should be improved. They should be capable of winning or at least competing for a championship this year. So I'm really interested to see how it goes. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 till 10 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. End of the day today on the big show. Jake Scott with you, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Van Morrison, brought to you by Live Nation. For the latest tour news and artist insight, go to livenation.com. I love Van Morrison. I like this song in particular. Uh, Hans, I have a variety of football uh, stories to get to with you, all right? So I want to hit the ground running here. All right. All right, let me know. Uh, so have you heard of Jackson Mahomes? 
Yes. But it won't be too hard to put together yeah. who he is. Yeah, the TikTok star. Yeah, the younger uh, brother of Patrick Mahomes, uh, uh, who sent out a, a TikTok video yesterday of him dancing on the sidelines at the Washington-Kansas City game. And then it became controversial because he was dancing on the 21 because they were honoring Sean Taylor at the game. Mm-hmm. Tremendous player. Uh, a victim of a murder. I mean, just a horrible story. So they're honoring him at the Washington game, and he's doing some stupid TikTok dance. Inside a roped-off area. First of all, how ridiculous is it that this is a thing? It's, t- it's just terrible. Just people dancing in public like morons. So it's, yeah. it's horrifying right. to me. I, I couldn't agree more. Turns my stomach. But this guy has thousands of followers. So uh, Jackson uh, took down the post and says, I want to sincerely apologize for accidentally being on the Sean Taylor number 21 at FedEx Field. We were directed to stand in that area, and I meant absolutely no disrespect to him or his family. Uh, And you can see a picture where it, it looks roped off. And this guy, this guy is just just a moron. But I, I ended up digging a little deeper into the situation, Hanson. Here is, is what I really... Want your? I love that you've gone deeper into this. I've gone deeper into this. Yeah, because I've seen the picture. It was roped off. There were people standing in that area. He claims he was told to stand in that area. So, Washington, the football team has been in the news over the past week because of this investigation and these emails oh. that won't be released. Yada yada yada. All the wrong reasons. So apparently, and and here's where the speculation begins. So don't sue me, but. Apparently that it was announced that they were going to honor Sean Taylor four days before the game. So, Hans, you've seen these honoring players or whatever. There's like months of buildup yeah. for it and, yep. and all this. So Got to build days. signage and imaging and videos and all. It's a lot of work, extensive work that so, goes into it. So do now, it to do it the right way. Now, so now everybody's thinking like, hmm, well, why, why the haste? Maybe trying to, you know. Get some positive news going about the, about the franchise. Yeah. Well, people complained, and the president, uh, Jason Wright, the president of Washington football team, uh, sent out this response because people were complaining about the short notice. He says, we thought that saving the news for a game, a game week reveal was the best way to focus the message on Sean and his legacy. We didn't realize that so many of you wanted to make a trip to FedEx Field to be present for this moment. A true lack of understanding of what you, the lifeblood of this franchise, needed to mourn our collective loss and celebrate Sean's legacy. So little tap, little tap dance, a little tap dance for you there, Hans. Seems to be coming more obvious that th- this really was to try to save some face. Now the the I guess the the ceremony consisted of a uh, a video that played for one minute at the end of halftime after some sort of dog show performance. Anyway, one uh, minute, one minute is, is what it came out to. And then uh, on top of that, Hans, if you look at the, the rest of the day's festivities, it included uh, a road that was dedicated uh, to Sean Taylor. But that road happens to be right in front of a porta potty, a line of porta potties. So there's a photo op with Sean Taylor's family in front of a line. Is the of, Sean Taylor sign on a porta potty right there? No. Oh, it's, it's just it's in front of it? In front of it. Uh, the halftime ceremony involved no speeches or recognition. The owner wore a hoodie to the pregame meeting with the family. And this, finally, the sideline number tribute was in the area where VIPs stand. So Jackson Mahomes, as moronic as that was, was actually 
ushered there. Was actually put there on purpose well, as as part of this thrown together okay. joke of a festivity. So you've seen the image of it, how it's roped off. Yeah. It looks like it's roped off to, to keep, keep people out. off. That's actually roped off to keep the VIPs, VIPs. in. Are you kidding me? <laughs> on top of Taylor's number? So sorry, that's a long way to get there, but... It really isn't that more on Jackson's oh. fault. It's more the the Washington football team. Well, he, <laughs> and, their, and their their show to deflect. He's still a dork for dancing on TikTok. <laughs> I, know, I just <laughs> can't is, even believe it, man. This is Sean Taylor's Sean Taylor Road. Now everybody gather around for a photo up in front of these it's honey all porta buckets. potties. <laughs> There's like ten porta potties right there. Gosh. Could the Washington football team do it any worse? Uh, oh, no. No, I don't think it's possible. And it just goes to show you, just because you own a football team doesn't make you smart. You know, I know I know that you know we're, we're talking about this and, and joking about this, but I think we have a really good understanding here in this state right now how important these football players are and how important their legacy is. And when they're taken – in terrible circumstance, how important it is that you honor and recognize them the right way. And when that doesn't happen, I can see why Washington football fans are beside themselves. They are very angry. There's a lot of very angry fans I get out it. there. I do too. I get it. You know, they they love Taylor, and they loved what he brought to the field in the game. Man, was he a heavy hitter. He was so good. He wouldn't make it in today's game. Oh, man, I don't know. All they, right, They would boot him off the field so fast. On to more stories. They should just take the, the football team away from him. But on to another NFL owner, and I know you're big on the Cowboys bandwagon uh, this year, <laughs> Hans. And uh, Dallas beats New England in overtime, right? Big play. Jerry Jones celebrating with his family, and he ends up, he ends up uh, have you seen this video? He ends up kissing his son. On the mouth. No, I haven't seen it. Okay, here, let me let me see. So, let me see. so he's celebrating the big win. They're up in the booth, and Jerry. <laughs> well, well, was that his wife that kind of there's gave a, him the? There's a woman that is that thinks he's going in to kiss her, and kind of gets brushed aside for Jerry. <laughs> and to he's kiss. already leaning in to kiss somebody. <laughs> <laughs> So let me ask you this: what's the what's the rule on celebratory kissing? Ah, oh, jeez, I don't. I I think with women that aren't your wife, I would be a, a little bit concerned. Like I would rather kiss my son on the lips than kiss a woman that is not my wife. Sure, but let's say Rockwind State or something. Are you are you kissing him on the lips? Not on the lips, on the cheek. I'm gonna give okay. him. A, I'm gonna give him a big kiss okay. on the cheek. And you're a loving guy. I got it. Yeah. Affectionate. You show it. Big hug and. Uh, but the kiss on the lips is weird, and pushing your wife out of the way to kiss your son on the lips is really weird. And and by the way, it's not like a like a full turn the head to kiss on the cheek. It's big hug, pull the head to the side, and kind of side kiss him on the the side of the cheek by back a little ways. Like, you know, there's a right way to do that. I think. But yeah, I, I feel like he was going to kiss that woman and realized there might be cameras, and, and then so so ducked over his to his son. son. <laughs> yeah, that's what it feels like. Oh man, okay. is anybody more awkward though than Jerry Jones? Like, it's just weird. Very weird. Yeah, I still feel like he's he died like eight years ago and he's been cryogenically frozen and and they've replaced his skin with like a robot. Like that's that's what it feels like to me. 
It doesn't. It just doesn't look or feel right, does it? Like everything he says and does, it's like, is he in there? He's very old. Very old. Is he mid eighties? No, at least. I just think his his idea of putting himself as general manager was always an interesting one because you can never fire yourself, right? And so the Cowboys have basically sucked for several decades. And it's like, all right, at what point are you? Jeez, he's 80, Jake. I thought he was older than that, to be honest. Um, Actually, let's see. He just turned 79 five days ago. All right, there you go. All right, here's my last NFL one, and then I've got another college story I want to get to with you on the other side. But my last NFL one, did you see Aaron Rodgers score that touchdown against the Bears? Yeah. And then yelled at the fans, I own you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I said some other things too, but he he said, uh, I own you. As much as I really want to dislike Aaron Rodgers because I find some of his antics, particularly in the offseason, really pointless and detrimental, but that's really funny. That is really funny. That is really funny, and that that does make me laugh. Aaron Rodgers does rub me the wrong way, though. Like, there's so much about him that rubs me the wrong. Well, way. I do feel terrible for Jordan Love, who's in the middle of this whole thing. And I feel, I feel terrible for a lot of people. He he puts a a, a strange pressure on front office and a strange pressure on teammates. If I'm one of his teammates and I'm watching the off season and he's out there galloping around the wilderness with some movie star and it's pictures of him and his new best friend that's an actor and all these crazy adventures. And and then I'm wondering, is he even going to be back here on roster and who is our quarterback and why is he not at these workouts through the summer? I, like, I get it. It's business, and it's his business, and you need to back away from it and let him do his business and worry about your own. But a quarterback's pretty important with organizing and allowing a team to, to get ready. And I feel like he put everybody in a bad place, his well, not, team included. Not to mention his whole leverage over the offseason was your team is going to suck unless I get everything that I want. Yeah. And even when as far as – of going out and telling other players who could possibly come in and help the team not to come. Yeah. Yeah, all that stuff really bugs me. He was a problem. There was a part of me that wanted him to just walk away from football and do Jeopardy. Like I, But he was but, so bad at that. He's really, he's really <laughs> he good was, at football. He was Trebek at Jeopardy. No, he wasn't. Trebek was entertaining. Aaron Rodgers was a corpse. Oh, I think yeah. you're over. He, he didn't have I think a you're pulse. overstating Trebek as entertaining. Come on. Trebek He's not exactly a, out there. Trebek was a legend. Had a little charm. Trebek Aaron Rodgers Tre- looked like they just they just dug him up and, and rolled him out there. Trebek was as boring as the show is, but Aaron Rodgers did a pretty good Trebek, which was boring. He, he was <laughs> just, so much more boring. Just that same dry cut delivery. like. But uh, I, there was a part of me that I was just like, fine, just go away. If that's how you're going to do it, it's, it's the same way I feel about Ben Simmons. It's like, fine, just go away. I don't care. Well, but Aaron Rodgers is is good enough that you're going to bend over backwards to please him. Ben Simmons is not. Well, Ben Simmons has just enough leverage that you have to figure out something to do with him. Well, so because you he allow him back in your your facility. Duped them into signing him to a max long term deal. I couldn't even imagine. They've got to be thinking in their mind like, okay, put him on the court, let him show a couple of good things, figure out something. 
But I was just watching some practice film of him. People are bagging on him because he's got a cell phone in his pocket while he's out on the practice yeah, court. That's not good. Oh, man. <laughs> Nothing about it's good. All right, stay tuned. We've got one more segment with Hans coming up. Coach Chiesa at the top of the 3 o'clock hour. Tanner Mangum at 4. And our boy Frank Dolce at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Stay tuned. Big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's another Pac-12 road trip for Utah as Kyle Whittingham and the Utes head to the Pacific Northwest to battle Oregon State in Corvallis. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4.30 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars up above in your eyes. It's a big show. Jake Scott with you. Hans Olsen sitting in for the 2 o'clock hour. Coach Chiesa will join us at the top of the 3 o'clock hour. Hans, I want to jump into the story with you real quick because I want to I want to get your thoughts, and then I have a question for you. But there was an athletic piece over the weekend. Uh, coach Ed Ogeron is going to be out at LSU. For some reason, they're letting him coach out the rest of the year, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But uh, there you go. They're going to be looking for a new head coach next year. And uh, the athletic did uh, a piece about his downfall and talked about uh, some of the stuff that, uh, or at least sources say, was going on with Coach O. I'll just read Mm -hmm. a couple of these real quick. Uh, From the athletic piece, it created messes for him, like uh, like the time Ogeron pulled up to a woman at a gas station uh, wearing uh, exercise attire. Quote, hey, you look like you work out, he said, according to multiple sources. We could work out together. The woman informed Ogeron she was married and pregnant, to which he responded, why does that matter? Uh, that woman was the wife of a high-ranking LSU official. Word of this reached the LSU Board of Supervisors, the collection of prominent Louisiana attorneys and business owners appointed by the governor who make the most important decisions at LSU. And, of course, it reached LSU Athletic Director Scott Wood uh, Woodward. Yeah. Um, one other source says, Then it is most powerful right after the national championship and is most wealthy. Ogeron was single again. He had just signed a six-year, $42 million extension and was a Louisiana hero, and he was going to enjoy it. Quote, something that had priority in his life that didn't have a priority before was talking to women, unquote, one LSU source says. Quote, that just became too high on the totem pole, unquote. And then uh, one other report said that uh, he would bring his girlfriends to practice and would let their children take part in drills with the team. Uh, So first of all, have you ever... Is it a surprise to you that the lifestyle of a coach would would lead to an implosion kind of like that? Is it what? Did you say curious? Like, is it surprising to you? Surprising? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Very. Because to me it's not. To me it is because coaches typically high-level coaches, and and Ed has shown that he can be a high-level coach, won a championship. He's had great moments. Typically, they're pretty disciplined with that stuff when it comes to mixing personal life with team, typically. Is that what you're asking me? Yeah, yeah. I just, I mean, you you look at the lifestyle of a coach, coaching college football, the just, 
I mean, you, you travel a lot, you're gone a lot, you're recruiting, you're, uh, you know. I guess my point on it is, is that if his personal life was falling apart at the same time he's coming into a financial windfall and was the king of the castle, so to speak, it, it's not a surprise that that magic elixir of situations leads to personal turmoil, which affects job performance. Well, I, I there's a lot of me that disagrees with that, a lot of me, because coaches, all they do is, and one of the biggest things is stress discipline. And when they show a lack of discipline in their own life around a practice facility, you can't show that. Well, that's why and, it spiraled out of control on and, them. And so, Jake, I would say that most of your high-paid, high-ranking, a lot of your high-paid, high-ranking college coaches, they've got this weird baggage. Like we just saw it leak out with Urban Meyer that was a college coach and is now an NFL guy, and he's got some blonde girl that's – doing what she was doing at a party when he was supposed to be on a flight back with his team. And that's so unacceptable because coaches stress and preach the importance of, hey, on the field, off the field. We represent a brand, and we have to represent that brand, and that's those details are what will lead us to being great as a team. So it does surprise me that Ed had these types of mistakes. Remember, Rich Rod had his uh, at Arizona had his assistant playing the middle person between between the wife and the girlfriend. I remember her job was to run interference, which is just horrible. But is it any wonder that as his personal life is coming undone, his professional life soon follows? I think it's a very human story that we see a lot. Coaches appear so, not to be human a lot of the time. But. So, so you got the feel then. You're, so Ed, Ed is kind of discharged dishonorably. Is that what you're? Oh is, yeah. I mean, I don't. I can see why he's losing his job. Certainly. Okay. So, is does Ed become a candidate for USC? Yeah, that's an interesting topic. I doubt it. I think USC is going to start fresh with somebody not part of the family. Because we've seen Ed Orgeron come in, take over a team, ignite. Uh, an excitement, bring in a good as- assistant staff that organizes and coordinates well and wins a championship. I mean, USC's got a lot of talent. I wonder if USC looks at it like, could he, could we catch fire in a bottle again? Well, I was going to ask you this, and, and we've got Coach coming up next, but what's the better job open now, LSU or USC? LSU. I think you recruit better. I think that there's more money, more stability. Uh, USC just lost the flair. For me, if if you gave me the opportunity at one of those two, I'm taking LSU. All right. Well, which one can you – which one would you have just a little bit more leniency for losing? If if you're coming in and you're trying to establish your own brand and you're having a 6-6 a six and six season. Neither. Both you're out. Yeah. On your head. So probably LSU. Okay. Thanks for sitting in, Hans. You're the best buddy. You bet, man. Coach Jays is going to join the show. Coming up next, stay tuned. Big show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.